Amen. Let's give it up for Chase. Good job, Chase. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Well, very good morning to you. My name is Corbin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, so excited uh, to gather with you and open up God's Word. Uh, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus over the past year in and out. And guys, uh, today is it. Okay, if you're joining us for the first time, like today's the Red Sea. Okay, we're finally here, and I am really excited to, uh, to walk through this passage together. Uh, before we get there, uh, one thing I want to put on your radar, today is the Connect class. Okay, today is the Connect class. Now, let me tell you what, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, whoever's excited about Connect class. Uh, let me tell you what Connect class is. Connect class is all about how you can go from curious to connected at the heights. One of the things we know is that whenever you journey into a new church, you walk into a new church, a room full of people like this, it can feel really intimidating to go, man, how do I get connected here? It's like, I kind of like this church. I think I want to plug into this church. How do I get connected? Well, if that's you, the, the Connect class is for you. We would love to have you today. Today, right after service, uh, we're providing lunch. Uh, we're providing child care for those of you who need, need child care. And we're going to spend about an hour uh, talking about, you know, what we're all about as a church, what we believe as a church, and how you can get connected here. Now, whenever I say connected, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Uh, it's kind of, it kind of ranges the spectrum. Um, if you uh, want to meet a human being, uh, Connect Class is for you. You know, Connect Class is for you. If, you. if you want to try to make a friend, I'm not promising you're going to make a friend. If you want to try to make a friend, uh, Connect Class is for you. If you want to join a community group, uh, which we are a church that loves to move from rows into circles in homes and community groups. If you want to join a community group, Connect Class is the way you, uh, that you join a community group. If you want to get on a serve team, uh, we think it's better to contribute to the church, not just consume from the church. If you want to join a serve team, Connect classes for you. This is the one way for you to connect to the life of the church. So if that's you, man, we would love to have you. Now, some of you have signed up. I think we have 20 or 25 people signed up. Uh, if, if you're more like me and you didn't sign up and you want to show up, uh, we've ordered extra food uh, for you because we know that that happens and we know you just on a whim might be like, hey, I want to check that out. And uh, you can check that out with no, like, we're not going to make you sign on the dotted line or anything like that. So that's right after service. So uh, right after service, we're gonna, you'll walk through these doors where this lovely banner says Connect Class. Uh, there's going to be lunch set up uh, out there for you. You can grab a lunch. If you've got kiddos, grab a lunch. Take it downstairs. Let the child care workers know uh, that you're staying. They will be ready for you, and we'll get started right after service. All right? Connect Class. If you're on the edge and you're like, should I go... The answer is yes. Okay, the answer is yes. We would, we would love to have you, and we're ready for you. That'll be right after service today. Now, uh, let's dive into this. If you're new with us, we're spending our fall walking through kind of the back half of this Old Testament book called Exodus. And if I were to kind of like update you on where we've been in Exodus and what Exodus is all about, well, Exodus is about a plan and a picture. Exodus is about a plan and a picture. Exodus is all about the plan of God for your life and my life. And it's a plan for freedom and joy. It's about how God meets these people who are trapped in darkness and invites them into freedom, the freedom of life with him. And what I love about the book of Exodus, before we move on, is it like, it comes in, and we've been exploring this over the course of the year, it comes in and corrects so many misunderstandings we have about the God of the Bible. I mean, so many of them, and most foundationally, it corrects this misunderstanding that, you know, a lot of people think of the God of the Bible, specifically the God of the Old Testament, as kind of like mean and grumpy and curmudgeonly. But what, the, what we've seen in Exodus is that God is for us. He has a plan that is for our joy. Now, Exodus is not only about a plan, but it's a picture. It's a picture of what it looks like for God to meet us and set us free. And we're seeing that. Now, today, uh, today is like, today's the big day. 
Uh, so if you showed up for the first time, welcome. You showed up on like the best day of Exodus so far because it is like the actual Exodus. We're getting into it, which I'm, which I'm really excited about because today we get kind of like the clearest picture of what it looks like for God to set us free. It's like, man, what does it look like in real life for God to set us free into life with him? Today is all about the picture of what that's kind of like, the experience of that is like in real life, and it's a really beautiful passage. Now, one of the reasons I think this passage is so beautiful is because God's plan for freedom is so different, so fundamentally different than what we often imagine it to be. Here's what I mean. Most people, whenever we start, start thinking about uh, getting freedom, and whenever I say freedom, I mean freedom from anything. It's like freedom from anxiety, freedom from depression, freedom from like fear of the judgment of God, freedom from an addiction. Whenever we think about freedom, we think, we think, we automatically think strength is a solution. It's like, man, if I want freedom in my future, here's what I got to do. I got to kind of like pull myself up by my bootstraps. I got to, hopefully this doesn't offend you, but I kind of got to like get my crap together. You know, I got to get my crap together, I got to get a plan, and I got to, this is what every self-help guru will tell you, you got to kind of look inside yourself, you got to believe that you're awesome, you got to believe that you can do great things, and you got to believe that if you just are, if you just can think positive thoughts, that you're going to crush life, you know, this is what we think. It's like if you want freedom, if you want freedom from anything, strength is a solution. But what we're going to see today in our passage in Exodus, that it's actually the exact opposite. It's actually the exact, we're going to see this like, this beautiful, wildly relieving reality that, that, that is this, that if you want freedom, weakness is the way. If you want freedom, weakness is the way. In fact, this is the big idea of this passage. We're going to dig deep into like the Red Sea and all of that today, but this is the big idea of this passage. When you walk out of church today, one thing I want you to remember is if you want freedom, weakness is the way. Now, here's what I'm aware of as I say that. Um, when we're in church, that sounds really good. You're like, oh, yes. Weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. That's right. I'm going to go out of here and I'm going I'm I'm to believe. Like, I want freedom. Weakness is the way. But here's what I know. Here's the reality. Guys, we don't like this. We don't like this at all. And the reason I know we don't like this is because I don't like this. Because here's what it means. It means, if we really start to believe this, it means that all of the things that you and I, maybe if you're, I don't know what the age cut if you're over 60, you may be so secure in yourself at this point, like this doesn't apply to you. But the vast, for the vast majority of us, here's what it means. It means that all of the things that we like to appear to be, things like impressive, things like put together, things like smart, things like somebody looks at me on my Instagram and I'm, oh, they're crushing life. All of these things that we like to project and appear to be will be the things that can hold us back from the full freedom that Jesus came to offer. Because weakness is the way. And guys, here's the thing. But before we dive into this, I just want to say this. I want to kind of like not preach as an expositor and just preach as a pastor, this church leader of this church. Man, I think that if we really believe this, and guys, if we really embrace this, this could change everything. It could change everything for us individually where we just kind of like feel free to be ourselves and not wear masks anymore. It could fundamentally change community group. Like you walk into community group and we all kind of know it's okay to not be okay when, as part of the heights. We take our masks off and we're no longer praying for like grandma's cat's cancer and we're praying for like real stuff going on in life. Like weakness is the way. 
Weakness is the way I can change everything. Now, let me show you uh, where I'm getting this, and then I'm just going to show it to you from four angles as we just walk through the passage together. we got a lot of passages to get, to get through uh, together today. Um, in this passage, we see two realities that are completely juxtaposed to one another. Okay? And if you just read this passage, if you were paying attention, you would see these realities. You don't have to be a scholar to see these realities. Here, here it is. The, people, the, the passage highlights the people's weakness up against God's power over and over and over again. If you read this passage, you're going to see two things. You're going to see the people's weakness and God's power. First, you see the people's weakness. It's like over and over and over again, what we're going to see is that these people like us are completely unimpressive. Like they're just totally unimpressive. Throughout the passage, they're going to be like, they're going to be lost. They're not going to know their way. They're going to be full of fear. They're going to get themselves trapped. They're going to want to go back to slavery like they are completely unimpressive. And yet, over and over and over again, this is beautiful news for us if we feel exhausted this morning. Over and over and over again, God's going to meet them in their weakness and display his loving power on their behalf. This is what we see in this passage. So um, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at this from four different angles. We're going to look at four different kinds of weakness we see in the people through the passage and how every time they feel weak in, the, in these four different ways, God's going to step in and meet them with his loving power. Okay, so number one is this. Number one, one is this. In our wondering, God is our leader. In our wondering, God is our leader. The people are going to be lost. They're going to be like, man, we don't know up from down. We don't know the way forward. And in, that, in this, God's going to step in and he's going to lead them. It's like, man, it's so easy in life. When you think about real life, it's so easy to feel lost. It's so easy when you think about real life to go, man, I don't know. Like, what, what is my purpose in life? What is my passion in life? Where am I going in life? What does God have for me in life? It's easy to feel lost. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, one of the ways we feel, one of the, what kind of, some of the places that we feel most often lost is in places of transition. Where we're like, where we're facing big transitions or walking through transitions, we can lift our head up and we can be like, man, I don't even know where I'm going. I don't even know what my, my purpose is in life. I, I'll, hit, I'll hit a few of these. Uh, for some of us, you know, post-college is a big transition. It's like you graduate college. I don't know, Texas A&M. We got a lot of Aggies around here, you know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Over here. Uh, you graduate college. And you move. And you move. You move to Denver. And you're like, dude, I'm going to work my first job. I'm going to ski my brains out. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush life. Life's going to be good. And you get to Denver and you're like, dude, I have no friends, and my job's terrible. I thought I was going to change the world, and I'm just changing diapers. And you feel lost. You feel lost. Like, what am I doing? Others of us, we have relationships that we're in, and we're like, man, we think the relationship's going somewhere. The relationship ends, and we feel lost. Others of us, you know, you, you, you get married, you, you have your first kid, and you, were, you used to, like, ski and backpack every weekend, and now you sit alone on Saturday mornings with your, with your infant, and you're like, I don't even know. And I don't even think I have friends anymore because I've got to be at home at 7 o'clock in the evening. And I don't get to hang out. And you feel lost. You lose your job. You feel lost. I'm not there yet, but I can imagine you retire from this thing you've given your whole life to, and you're like, man, what is my purpose in life? You feel lost. You feel lost. And guys, what we see first in the passage is that this, this feeling of being lost is actually where true freedom starts. Of like, man, I don't know where to go. This is where true freedom starts. This is where the people are at in Exodus chapter 13. And actually, the wild thing that I want to show you in this is that they didn't get themselves lost. You're going to see this. I want to, I want to kind of like show you my cards. God got them lost. Okay? 
It's wild reality. And we're going to go, okay, why did God get them lost? Let's look at this starting in verse 17. It says this. When Pharaoh let the people go, so Pharaoh changes his mind. We've seen all of the signs and wonders. Pharaoh lets the people go. God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So God's going to, essentially what we're going to see is God doesn't take them the efficient way. He doesn't, take them the, he doesn't take them through any shortcuts. He takes them the long way. And he takes them the way, he takes them this way to protect them. They're not ready for war. Verse 18, so he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. We skip down to verse 20 and pick up there. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now, key in here, starting, on, starting in verse 21, it says this. We see the leadership of God starting in verse 21. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. God's leading them. Now, can I do a little little theology before we keep reading? What you're going to see, and we'll talk about this here in a couple of weeks, because the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire is going to become a theme in the book of Exodus. But what we see is that this is the Holy Spirit of God. The same Holy Spirit of God that falls on the church in Acts 2 is right here leading the people. And so here's what we see. We actually have an advantage. If we are followers of Jesus, they experience the the leadership of God outside of them through the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. This same power and person is inside of us if we are followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So we have an advantage. Now, we're going to get into all of that here in a couple of weeks. God is leading the people by the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Chapter 14, 14, verse 1 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. God's positioning them for power. He's putting them in front of the sea. Don't miss this. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. They're lost. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, in all of that text, let me show you this wild thing. The, the people of God have been delivered, and now they're wandering around in the wilderness. They're confused. They're seemingly lost. And the Lord led them there. They're lost. And the Lord led them there. We get this incredible vision we talked about of, of the visible presence of God in the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. God himself is leading his people, but he isn't leading them the way that you would think. Not at all. Here's what I mean. He doesn't take them the obvious and efficient way. He gets them lost. He gets them lost. And we actually see, it gets even more serious, we actually see in the passage that he takes them the long, inefficient way and gets them lost so that their enemy will pursue them. It's like, God, that sounds like a bad idea. Just take us the efficient way. Take us the obvious way. Take us the way where Egypt's not going to pursue us. So what's up with that? What's up with that? Well, here's what it teaches us about life with God. Let's just bring this down into real life. I, don't, I, we could, I could do a whole teaching on this, but I'm going to hit it really quickly and we're going to move on. Here's what it means. Sometimes when God is ready to lead you to freedom, he's going to get you lost. Sometimes when God's ready to lead you to freedom, he's going to get you lost. 
Why? He's going to lead you the long way into the wilderness. Some of you are there right now. You're like, I have no freaking idea where I'm at. I don't know where I'm going. I'm in the land of confusion. Why would God do this? Well, the reason, I'm going to give you the answer real quick. The reason he does this is so that we will shed our delusional self-sufficiency that we are used to living with. This is the purpose. So let me just say this. I'll just shove this down into life real quick. So if you feel lost in life right now, like if you're here and you're like, man, that's me. I'm lost. I don't know which way to go. I feel relationally lost. I feel emotionally lost. I feel lost in my career. Or maybe not lost. You're like, I don't know if I'm lost, but I feel stuck. I think those, those two are kind of like two sides of the same coin. I feel stuck. I feel stuck in my life with God. I feel stuck in my career. I feel stuck in my relationships. I feel stuck emotionally. Know that it is likely God, by his grace, putting you in the starting place of freedom. It's grace. What we see here is that in our wondering, God is a leader. When we feel lost, God is not lost. Let him take you by the hand and lead you. Weakness is the way. Feeling lost is, are the, is the starting blocks of entering into life with God. The second way we see this is that in our fear, God is our comforter. In our fear, God is our comforter. So we're talking about weakness is the way. First, we feel lost. We feel like we're wondering. Second, we feel scared. Okay? So when we get, get lost and we're wandering around in life, it's easy to start freaking out. You're like, I'm freaking out. I don't know where I'm going. And the second thing we see is that in our place of freaking out about life and the future, God enters in and he's the one that gives comfort. So let's look at this starting in chapter 14, verse 5. It says this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. If you have your own Bible, circle those three words, uh, underline those three words, change their minds. There's going to be a lot of changing of minds in this little section of the passage. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and he took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So we, if you missed a couple weeks ago, we talked about sovereignty of God and free will. And you still see that little like play there. Pharaoh changed his mind, but God was hardening his heart. You still see like Moses who wrote this is still doing that little thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pi-Hiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. Now, obviously, the Israelites look up, look, up, uh, look up and see this happening, and it is terrifying to them. They start freaking out. Watch them freak out right here in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. It's a good thing to do whenever you're terrified. I'm going to come back to that here in just a second. They said to Moses, by the way, whenever, what you're about to see is whenever people are in spiritual crisis, a lot of times they look at their leaders and they're like, it's your fault. That's what happens right here. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, this is ironic, okay? Because what is Egypt known for? You know this from like fourth grade. They're pyramids which are tombs. 
It's ironic. They're like, were there not enough tombs back there that we could just die? Did you take us out here to die? Why did you bring us out here? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? to Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? In fact, it's like, no. <laughs> you said, lead us to freedom. They're changing their minds. They're changing their minds. They're going, we don't want this. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So the people are freaking out. And notice this, I've been highlighting this, but there's a lot of changing of minds in this passage. The Egyptians are changing their minds and they're no longer letting the Israelites go free. They're chasing after them. And the Israelites are changing their minds and they're going, hey, freedom, God leading me to freedom is a lot scarier than I thought that it would be. Maybe we'll just go back to slavery. Because that feels a lot safer. And that's going to become a big theme through the rest of the book of Exodus. Now we read this, like changing of minds and wanting to go back to the comforts of like what we've known instead of the scary future God has for us. And it's like, man, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like that? It's like, I don't know where God's leading me. I don't know why he's called me to do this. Like I said, this is going to become a big theme in Exodus. God is trying to set us free God is trying to invite us into deeper life with Him. But guys, can we just be honest about this? That feels scary. Grace is scary because it, grace changes us. It changes our lives. And it feels like, man, it's like it at times can feel like you just want to give up on this whole life with Jesus thing and run back to the captivity and comfort of your former slavery. I'll give you a couple examples of what this looks like. It's like, man, you're here, you've been journeying with the Heights, you've been journeying with your community group, and you were in a toxic relationship with a boyfriend that you knew was bad for you. And your community group is like, man, you know, God's trying to set you free, I think you need to break that thing off. And, and so you break it off, and all of a sudden it's Saturday night, and you're at home feeling like a loser watching Netflix by yourself, and you're like, well, at, at least I had my boyfriend, even though he was toxic, at least I had my boyfriend, I can run back to him. And you run back to the former captivity. That's what it looks like. It's like you're journeying with the heights and you've had a hidden addiction for a long time and by God's grace, you've, you've finally been open, honest, and willing about it. You're like, man, I want this to change. But freedom is scary. Freedom feels vulnerable. Do you notice this? Like, I had a, actually had a therapist point this out to me this last week that a lot of the hard liquors are names because they're friends. It's like, well, Jim Beam was a good friend. He at least took the edge off. And it's like it's so easy when Jesus starts to set you free. Guys, we see this all the time with baptism. And you may be in this place like God is starting to set you free. And you're like, man, I know that my next step of obedience is baptism. We see people all the time who are like, I'm ready to follow Jesus. And then it gets up against it of going public and going all in on Jesus. And they tap out because they're just like, man, my former life of slavery felt way more safe to me. And this is where the people of God, is, God are at. They're freaking out because freedom is scary. But what we see next is that in our fear, God is our comforter. In our fear, God is our comforter. Look at verses 13 and 14 with me. We'll put them up here on the screen. I love these, these, these are like life, ver this is like life verse material, okay, guys? So I just want to prepare you for that. Verse 13. But Moses said to the people, they're freaking out. They're like, just take us back to Egypt. I don't want this. I don't want the God freedom anymore. It feels scary. I don't like the change that it's bringing in my life. I want to go back to captivity because it was hard, but at least it felt safe and familiar. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. 
I love this. Do you know that that's the most often repeated command in the Old Testament? Don't be afraid. It's not get your act together. It's not, you know, quit sleeping around or whatever. Whatever people would imagine it to be. It's don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. All you have to do is stand there. I love this. And see the Lord's salvation. You just have to watch it that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Look at verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. And you must be quiet. Guys, I love this so much. Notice how God doesn't comfort them in their place of freaking out. He doesn't comfort them like friends often comfort us. It's like, you know, you have a good friend, you invite them over, you're like, guys, I'm freaking out about life. And they, what they do is they point inward. They go, you know, you're, you're strong. You're capable. You've done it before. You've, you know, you had that big thing back there and like you, you, you made it through that. God doesn't comfort them like our friends often comfort us. God doesn't work like that. God says, hey, in your weakness, why don't you just stand there? Because I know that sometimes life gets so hard that that's all you have the strength to do is stand there and be quiet. And you can just stand there because I'm going to fight for you. I'm your warrior in your weakness. And guys, this is Christianity. Like, this is Christianity 101. Here's the way we say this. Christianity is all about done, not do. Okay? If you, if, if you don't remember anything from this, or maybe weakness is the way, but also this. Christianity is about done, not do. We say this all the time. Christianity is not a kind of like get your life together plan so that your life can go better. Christianity is not all about all of the things that we do so that God will love us and we can kind of twist his arm into blessing us. Christianity has nothing to do with what we do. Christianity is all about what God has done because he already loves us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. While we were just standing there, not even existing, God was accomplishing our salvation for us. This is the good news of Christianity. It's about how Jesus has done the work to secure us into life forever with God. It's about how when we are freaking out, God is not freaking out. He's comforting us by doing what we could not do for ourselves. And it's like the most relieving news in the world. Weakness is the way. And you're freaking out. God is our comforter. So let me hit this really quick. Maybe you're freaking out right now uh, about something in life. You're like, I, I don't know, a job, whatever, all the things we've named. Well, the people give us a good example of what to do in our freaking out. We can remember it this way. Express and experience. Express and experience. What they do back in verse 10 is they, they cry out to God. When they're freaking out, their, their primary kind of like automatic response was just to cry out to God. And when they cry out to God, what happens is they experience the comfort of God. And they're going to experience the power of God here in just a second. And so, man, what I would say is like if you're in a place in life right now where like you're not sleeping at night, or you're, just, you're struggling, you're like limping your way forward, make sure that you don't suffer in silence. Cry out to God. In fact, that may be our whole response time this after, uh, here in just a few minutes, is you just sitting alone in your chair, crying out to God, handing Him all of the things that you are freaking out about. In our fear, God is our comforter. Number three, in our vulnerable places, God is our protector. In our vulnerable places, God is our protector. Guys, I love, I love verse 15. Okay, I love verse 15 because it kind of like, 
it so perfectly balances out what we just talked about, about standing there and crying out. Okay, look at this. Look at verse 15 with me. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, let's put this up on the screen. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I love this. Tell the Israelites to break camp. He goes, okay, don't, don't miss what's happening here in verse 15. He goes, okay, I know that you're lost. I know that you're freaking out. And I know that you've cried out to me. And I heard you. Now quit praying and get moving. Okay? This is big for today. Obedience is a big deal, okay? I love what uh, the famous British pastor uh, Charles Spurgeon says about this line right here. He says this. We'll put it up on the screen. Far be it from me ever to say a word in disparagement of the holy, happy, heavenly exercise of prayer. But beloved, there are times when prayer is not enough. When prayer itself is out of season. When we have prayed over a matter to a certain degree, it then becomes sinful to tarry any longer. Our plain duty is to carry our desires into action and having asked God's guidance and having received divine power from on high to go at once to our duty without any longer deliberation or delay. Man, guys, I love the balance of these two points. I said that a second ago. Sometimes you need to stand there and cry out. Other times you need to get your butt moving. That's the point. And it, like, the Holy Spirit's going to give you wisdom to like which one which one you need to do. And here's what we see. Sometimes the way God protects us, we're going to see God step in and protect here in just a second. Sometimes the way God protects us when we feel vulnerable is by God asking you, why are you still praying about this? Go! And when you go, God moves behind you to protect you. And here's, the, here's kind of the little point. I've got to hit this and move real fast. But do you guys know that there are things that we don't need to pray about? There are things that we don't need to pray about. We just need to do. So what are some examples of that, Corbin? Well, thank you for your question. <laughs> Love God and orient the whole of your life around Him. Don't pray about it. Just do it. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, should I love my coworker that gets on my nerves? You don't need to pray about that. You might need to pray about for strength for that or patience, but you don't need to pray about doing it? Should I be meaningfully connected and involved in the life of a local church? You don't need to pray about that. You just need to do it. We'll say this in Connect class here in just a second. A Christian without, without a spiritual home is an orphan. There's, the pattern of the New Testament is that this is a communal thing, guys. We don't need to pray about it. We just need to do it. Should I use my gifts to serve the church, or should I just consume the church? You don't need to pray about it. You just need to do it. Should I t attend Connect class today? You don't need to pray about it. You just need to do it. <laughs> it's like, but, but on a serious note, like I, I, that, that was a joke, obviously. It was a good one. <laughs> but there are things, guys, we don't need to pray about. We just need to do. And do you notice this, guys? In the scriptures, there are times when God looks at his people and he goes, why are you still praying about this? I've talked to you about this. I've given you words from my word about this. Go do it. And it's right there when they get moving in obedience that God moves backwards and becomes their protector. Look at verse 16. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea. So we're about to see the Red Sea split. And divide it so that the Israelites can go through, uh, through the sea on dry ground. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all of his army, his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know 
that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then as, you, as they go, watch what the Lord does. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, leading them, moved and went behind them. I love this image. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the others all night long. Guys, I love this image. Because it is so God. It is so who the God of the Scriptures is. It's the Gospel. That God, the God of the Bible, is the God who constantly puts Himself between us and our enemies as our protector so that nothing can harm us. This is who He is. The pinnacle of where we see this is the cross. Where Jesus, God in the flesh put himself between us and our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, hell, and death, so that we could escape. Satan can't touch us by faith in Jesus. Judgment for sin has been paid for. Do you know this? If your faith is, is in Jesus, judgment is in the past. There is no judgment in your future. He's delivered you from it. The gates of hell have been trampled and death has been defeated by resurrection. In your places of vulnerability, God is your protector. And guys, can we just say this? If God is the one who is able through a cross and a resurrection to protect you from your greatest enemies, that we have like absolutely no control over, things like death. It's like that's coming. We have very little control of it. We have more control over it than they used to. But it's coming. If he will deliver you from that, how much more can you expect him to protect you from the smaller things in life that we're freaking out about? He's your protector. When we step forward in obedience, God steps backwards to watch our back. We have a protector. Weakness is the way. Finally, in our bondage, God is our deliverer. In our bondage, God is our deliverer. Look at this. We're just, I'm just going to read over you the account of the Red Sea. Just soak in it, and I'm going to explain it. We're going to land a plane. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove, back the sea, drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. Imagine this. The Egyptians set out in pursuit. The tension in the narrative is rising. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen, it went into the sea after them. During the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptians. I love the condescension there. Beautiful. He looks down at the Egyptians from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians, on the chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen plus the entire army of Pharaoh they, that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But... The Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in Him and in His servant, Moses. 
The people in this passage, they feel lost. They feel fearful. They feel vulnerable. They feel trapped. Egypt in this scene is on one side coming toward them and on their backside is the Red Sea and it looks like their life is over, but it's right there in their moment of despair where their weakness is about to be finally exposed that God makes a way where there is no way. And this is who God is. And in one sense, guys, we we can say this, it's the most unpredictable thing in the world. God literally opens up a sea. It's like we wouldn't, you know, we're, we're, a lot of us are so familiar with the story of the Exodus that we're like, yeah, yeah, he, he split the sea. In one sense, it, it's, it's this insane miracle where it's like he opens up the water so that they can pass through into new life with him, but in another sense, if you read this in the context of the whole Bible, it makes so much sense because this is always what God has been doing for his people. This is always who God has been. He has always been the God who has caused new life to come up through the water. So the Red Sea miraculously splitting here seems like it's out of nowhere until you think about who God has been before this and who God will be after this. Think about this. This is the creation story where He came, God came, and through His Word speaking and His Spirit hovering, He calls land to emerge out of the dark chaos of the waters, and new life is born out of the waters. He is the one who called Noah to build a boat and created new life and a fresh start through the waters of the, fo- of the flood. Right here, He is the one creating new life through the waters of the Red Sea as He delivers His people from bondage and gives them a new beginning, a new Genesis, deliverance. He is the one who in the future will part the waters of the Jordan River in the book of Joshua as the people finally enter the land God has promised them and creates new life through the nation of Israel. And if you look closely at the New Testament in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is always the one doing things in, on, and with water. He's always dealing with water. I mean, you think about this, and Jesus is the one who goes down into the Jordan River that God had split back there in the book of Joshua, and he's baptized. And at his baptism, the Father and the Spirit are there giving their affection and affirmation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who goes on and he turns water into wine. What's up with that? He has control over water to speed up the fermentation process and turn it into wine. Baptists don't like this, the rest of us do. He turns water into wine. He's the one who walks on the water. He's the one who's in the boat with his disciple and can speak a word and calm the water. What is all of this showing us? That the same God, the same God that split the Red Sea and has the power to split the Red Sea is the same God that became a man, Jesus Christ, to lead us in a new and better exodus. He's the God who splits the waters. He's the God who meets us when we are trapped, when we're full of fear, when we're feeling vulnerable, when we're feeling stuck, he meets us in that weakness and he says, hey, I know you feel weak, but I'm the God of the Exodus. I can make a way. I can make a way. I can make a way. And guys, what I love about Jesus is he shows us this like, this wild reality that if we want freedom, strength is not the solution. The message of Jesus is not get your act together and look inside. The message of Jesus is that even though we can't get our act together, God loved us anyway and came and pursued us anyways. And the way into life with Jesus and the way of life with Jesus is the way of weakness. It's the way of like, man, we're we're feeling like we're full of fear. We're feeling like we're 
We're vulnerable and need protection. We're feeling like we're lost in life. And we're feeling like we're trapped. It's in the place of weakness that God loves to enter in and invite you into a whole new life of freedom with Him. Because this is what Christianity is all about. This is what it's all about. And what I love is like, if you look at the entryway into life with Jesus, it's two W's, it's weakness and water. Do you know this? Like if you're here and you're like, man, I, I, I don't know about Christianity. I'm kind of exploring faith. Do you see that the way in is just to be open, honest, and willing about your need and invite Jesus to come and meet your, meet your need? And then do you see that we have this picture the New Testament talks a lot about this. We have this picture of us going through water as a symbol of new deliverance and a new exodus we've experienced called baptism. The way in is through weakness and water. It's always been this way. It's always been. God is the unchanging God. And so what I want to invite us into today uh, as we respond is just for us to kind of come to this place of honesty and vulnerability. Uh, before God. And I think there are two responses. Some of us need a big exodus. Some of us need a small exodus. Some of us need a big Red Sea. Some of us need a small Red Sea. Some of you, you entered into life here. You're like, man, I don't know anything about Christianity, but this is attractive to me. I've explored all my other options. And man, I think, like, I think Jesus might be the way. Because that's, that's the big exodus. That's where we walk out from the the tyranny of life under our greater pharaohs of Satan, sin, hell, and death and into life with Jesus. And if that's you, if you're like, man, I need to become a Christian. I need to follow Jesus. We want to talk to you. Come and find us after the service. I'll be down here if you, want to, if you need to chat with me. I would love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. A lot of us need a small exodus. You're like, you're up against it. You're freaking out. You feel lost. And you need God to meet you in that. Guys, don't stuff that down. Use our time of response as a way to express that to God. How do we do that? Well, I'll give you an acronym. I don't have it on the screen because I, I wrote it in my journal a little while ago. It's just how. You can be honest, be open, you can be willing to share. Be honest, open, and willing before God. Silently in your chair, you can do that. We're going to have a prayer team up here during the whole response time. I encourage you to be honest, open, and willing with Him. Sometimes you're like, and I, can't, I don't even have the strength to believe. You need somebody to believe on your behalf. And so come and receive prayer. We're going to respond through taking communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to come. You can come to one of these stations in the front or the station in the back. And you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine's always marked by a little piece of twine. And this is our way of saying, man, in my weakness, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross and from the grave is my hope. My hope's not from me. If you're not a Christian, this meal is not for you. We would encourage you to take Jesus, get serious about following Jesus instead. And we're going to sing. Let me pray for us, and then we are going to respond. Lord Jesus, we love you. Um, thank you for this freeing word today, God, that weakness is the way. That we don't have to earn your love. We don't have to earn your affection. We don't have to clean ourselves up before coming to you. We can come to you in the fullness of our brokenness and our sin and our addiction and our freaking out. And you're the God who meets us there in power and in love. 
You're the God who can lead us to a whole new way of life, life with you. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come as we respond, as we set our gaze on Jesus, as we practice being honest, open, and willing before you and before one another. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. We need you in our freaking out. We need you in our wondering. We need you to be our protector. We need you to be our deliverer. So Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Change our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond as the Lord leads us.